home December 1st, 1955, about 6 o'clock in the afternoon. I boarded the bus downtown Montgomery on Coach Square. Rosa Parks had no plans on making history that day. For her, it was just going to be an ordinary day. But sometimes when circumstances change around you and you have to make some decisions, you find yourself thrust into the limelight. And that's exactly what happened to her. History was made not because somebody was trying to make a platform, but because she just got fed up. He demanded the seat that we were occupying. The other passengers very reluctantly gave up their seats, but I refused to do so. I want to make very certain that it is understood that I had not taken a seat in the white section. The seat where I occupied, we were in the custom of taking this seat on the way home. The driver said that if I refused to leave the seat, he would have to call the police, and I told him, just call the police. I didn't think I was violating any. I felt that I was not being treated right and that I had a right to retain the seat that I had taken as a passenger on the bus. The time had just come when I had been pushed as far as I could stand to be pushed, I suppose. I had decided that I would have to know once and for all what rights I had as a human being and a citizen. The trial was held December 5th on the next Monday, and the protest began from that day, and it is still continuing. In spite of being inundated with social media fame and influencers, real history is still being made. Not with fanfare, likes, and hit counts, but with true caring deep commitment, and sacrifice. Just as Rosa Parks took the risk to know what rights she had, not only as a citizen, but as a human being, many around the world are risking all to find a new paradigm for themselves and for those around them. For it is this kind of good that we need in our communities, our country, and our world. This is why we are here. It's the Perpetual Good Podcast with your host, Kenneth Hopkins. Join us as we discover the good things that are happening all around us and what we can do to bring even more good to our communities. Life is like a box of assorted chocolates. But what swirls in my head? Donuts from boxes. Both go with the concept. Never know what you'll get. Welcome to the Perpetual Good Podcast. My name is Kenneth Hopkins, and we're in a new year, a new season, and I'm excited to get back into the podcast and to talk about stories of good, not only in my community, but around the country and around the world. And today is going to be all about history makers, and actually unlikely history makers. People who were able to do something of notoriety, not because they were trying to make history, but just because they were doing what they thought was right and what was good, not only for themselves and for others. So I've got three other stories outside of the one from Rosa Parks. I really like that one, uh, hearing the interview from Rosa, because there were things that I found out that were never taught in school, and things that had been published about her 
turned out to be actually not the case. And so hearing actually firsthand accounts and hearing uh, a little bit more about what's happening in true history can really shape us and really have us focused on some good things. Now, as far as what's going on good in, in my world, a couple of weeks ago, I had a I had a Zoom call with uh, some guys around the area here in Portland that I've really come to admire and respect because of the work that they're doing in the community. And we actually got together because we were talking about something that uh, had been going on, and uh, I saw it as kind of an influence, a negative influence that was happening around the area and how we could actually address it and how we can deal with it. But they gave a lot of a lot of good advice around how we could respond to certain things. But the one thing that kept coming up was, we're already doing the work. We're, we're out there in the streets. We're talking to people. We're helping people. We're doing what needs to be done. And we're not doing it because of fanfare. We're not doing it because of trying to make a name for ourselves or build our business or anything like that. It's just who we are. And that really struck me, and that really became the basis for this particular episode. You're going to find throughout these stories that people who we uh, start to admire and people that we actually have some uh, some knowledge about, when it came down to it, it wasn't because that they were trying to do something special. It's because they were doing what came naturally to them, and that's where that's where good really happens, and that's where true history is being made, and that's where true influence happens. So sit back. We've got three other stories that uh, that we're going to talk about. Good things going all the way back to 1914 and then bringing it all the way up to 2021. I know that you're going to enjoy this. So get ready for the stories of some unlikely history makers. occasion, I had heard about this thing called the Christmas truce, but it always sounded like something that you would find in a a Hallmark or a Reader's Digest story, something that was made up, something that sounded really nice, but it really had no basis in truth. However, in this case, in 1914, this is actually real. The Christmas truce actually did happen. So here's what was going on. It was World War I, and World War I was in full swing. So for the soldiers on the front line, whether it was a holiday or a regular day, the only thing that they knew is that they were trying to stay alive and trying to take out the enemy. That was their day-to-day existence. A lot of these soldiers were sitting in bunkers. Uh, there were some stories of them just knowing that they were feet from the enemy. They were covered in mud. They were cold. And this was not any time of celebration. But on this day, on Christmas Eve, while a lot of the soldiers, the British soldiers on one side, the German uh, soldiers on the other, they had been fighting. There were uh, many casualties in this, in this particular area. And this was happening just in a number of different areas. There was a, there was a lull in the fighting and the British troops reported that they were hearing something coming from the German camp. And when they realized what it was, they heard the German soldiers singing Christmas carols, which absolutely caught them off guard. Some of them thought that it was, it was a trap, that they, they didn't know what to make of it. But 
somewhere in the process, some of the British soldiers started singing the Christmas carols as well. And so you had these two sides that had been engaged in a bitter, bitter fight. Uh, They saw each other as enemies, and the only thing that they could think is that in order for me to live, that you have to die. And all of a sudden, they, they started singing the same things together. And then they, they decided to take a risk. One of the German soldiers said, hey, come on over here. And they were reluctant, but then they started coming over. They ended up meeting in the middle. And this wasn't just a, a time of just, you know, just kind of shaking hands and saying, okay, well, you know, you have your beliefs, I have mine. You know, you go and celebrate Christmas yourself, as, as so many of us do. We celebrate in isolation. But on this particular Christmas Eve, the soldiers for the German army and for the British army came together. They exchanged gifts. Some of them even got haircuts from each other, shaves, and they ended up even, I don't even know where the ball came from, but in this particular story that I read, they played soccer. And so they stopped all of the fighting. This was not something that came down from the top. As a matter of fact, they tried to do this in subsequent years, and the leaders told the soldiers that they would punish them if they tried to do any type of Christmas truce. So this was definitely not a political thing. This was not something that was coming down from the leadership. But it was something that was initiated by the soldiers who were just very close to each other, trying to kill each other, and yet they found something that was in common. And for this brief period, and yes, they ended up having to go back to to fighting after this, they saw each other not as enemies. They saw each other as humans who had something in common. And this became a story that has been told uh, over and over again, and it, it's so nice that we have some of the uh, some of the written accounts of the soldiers who who talked about the experience and about what they were able to receive from this. But the Christmas truce is real. 1914 will go down in history as a time when fighting stopped, not because somebody at the top said so, but because. They had a common belief. Luca Trapanessa wasn't trying to become famous. He wasn't trying to make a political statement or advocate for any marginalized groups. He was just a man with a simple desire. He wanted to be a father. Now, living in Naples, Italy, Luca faced a particular uphill battle. Italy actually has some of the strictest adoption laws in all of Europe. And for Luca, some of his uphill battle was a little bit more cultural. He happens to be a gay man. So not only is it hard for just a single man to adopt adopt a child, but it makes it a little bit a little bit harder and he might even say much harder 
for a gay man to do so. So when he approached the adoption agencies about this, he he said, this is what they told him, he said, I'd only be given a child with an illness, a severe disability, or with behavioral problems. And I don't know if they did that to try to dissuade him for doing that, but they basically said, you're, you're going to get the worst of the worst. That's, that's kind of how they, how they put it to him. For him, though, it, it, was, it was okay because throughout his life, he's actually volunteered for working with special needs people. He actually even started a foundation in his younger years to, to help special needs kids. So he was okay with this, even though they presented it to him in a, in a very uh, negative way. So now enter Alba. Alba was born with Down syndrome. And because the parents found out that she had Down syndrome, they immediately gave her up for adoption. Now, within 30 days of her being born, she was presented to 20 different families, and all 20 families rejected her. So they contacted Luca, and they said, well, we have this child that was born with Down syndrome, and she's been rejected 20 times. If you want her, you can have her. And he knew immediately that he needed to be her father. So he said, yes, absolutely. And this is not a story, even though uh, if you can look online and there are, there are interviews after interviews and uh, he's been on, uh, on different TV shows and, and just everywhere, there's been a lot of notoriety about it. But for him, he's, again, he's not doing this to try to make some, some special statement. He's doing it because he fell in love with this little girl, and he, he just wants to be her father. He says that my greatest struggle is to make others understand that Alba is, above all, a person, and she needs to be considered for all, all of her needs. As many people would just focus on this one aspect of her, Luca's focusing on the fact that she is a growing little girl and that she just she needs love and she needs the love of a good father, and that's all he's trying to do. I've gone to his Instagram page and and you just look on his page and it's it's not the page of quote unquote an influencer. It's not the page of a of a person who's trying to make a a statement. It's a page of a father who loves his daughter and a daughter who loves her father. And so people would look at this and, and he's, he's actually said that he's probably the first gay man who's been able to adopt somebody in Italy. And that is making history. And yet for him, it's, that's not what it's about. Yeah, that'll be something in his, in his life that he could say, but the most notable thing for him is that he has the daughter that he wanted. Sixty words. Sixty words in a heart of gold was all it took for one officer and actually the whole country to know that people 
actually do matter. Those 60 words came from a 10-year-old named Emma Jablonski. Now, the reason why those words came about was she saw the footage of what was happening on January 6th at the Capitol. And she was particularly struck and actually heartbroken over seeing an officer, Daniel Hodges, being crushed by those that had stormed the Capitol. He was being crushed. He ended up going to the hospital, and it really affected her. And she's only 10. That's the way that we would look at it. She's only 10. And while a lot of us saw the footage over and over again, and we were, we were shocked and we were heartbroken, Emma actually did something about it. She wrote a letter. She wrote a letter to Daniel because she didn't want him to be hurt. So I want to read the letter for you. Again, it's only 60 words, so it's going to be short, but I want you to feel her heart. She said, Dear officer, I'm Emma, and I'm 10 years old. I hope you heal from being crushed, she wrote. I feel bad for you. Those people are really bad hurting you. I hope you and your family are nice and healthy. When I saw the video on CNN about people crushing you with a door, I almost cried. Get well, Emma. Now, the only reason that we know anything about this letter is she wrote it and she gave it to her mom and she wanted to get it to to Daniel, but she didn't, uh, as you can see from the letter, she didn't even know his name. She didn't know where to where to send it. So her mom did the only thing that she knew she could do is she posted it on social media, again, not because she was trying to do anything, but she wanted to figure out how to get it to him. People saw it and they took it and they just, they went crazy with it. And so it got reposted and shared and, and eventually uh, it got the notoriety that it needed to in order to get to Daniel. And they were able to actually do a Zoom call where he was able to tell her that he, you know, that he was recovering, but that he really appreciated the fact that she took the time to wish him well and to write him the letter. So again, it doesn't take, it doesn't take a lot. It takes a heart and it takes being willing to, to step in and do something. So Emma, thank you for, for doing what many of us didn't even think that we could do. Something as simple as writing a letter not only lifted his spirits, but it lifted the spirits of so many others who read it. Now, just some final thoughts as we wrap up today's episode. The thing that I like about all of these stories is, number one, that it's not coming down from a top-level edict. It's not something that is being done for show. But as you look at each one of these stories, it's just normal people doing what they would normally do given any situation. And we've seen this just recently, the polar vortex that has just swept across the country. 
It caught a lot of people by surprise, and I saw it here in Portland. Everybody expected a little bit of snow, but nobody expected as much and as fast as we got it. And so, just driving down the street, you would see cars stranded. You would see people who were, who were stuck in snowdrifts and on ice. I spoke to a couple who had been stuck for like two hours trying to get out of the snow. And there were so many stories of that. And we can look at those situations and be so struck by all of the tragedy. But the other thing that I saw was so many people who went out of their way to help. You go to the store and all of the tow ropes are sold out. And they're sold out because people are looking out for their neighbors. They're trying to do what they can in order to get them out. People walking around with shovels just to try to help dig people out. Holly shared a story with me about a couple who had uh, ordered some delivery. This was in Texas. And the person who delivered the delivered their food ended up getting stuck, could not get out, could not get back to her place. And her place, the delivery person, uh, her place had no power, no water or anything. And so the couple said, why don't you just stay here? We have room, we have light, we have heat. Just stay. And she ended up staying for a number of days. And every time that she felt like she was being a burden, they said, no, just figure that you're part of the family. When situations come up, what we do normally is we help. And we try to do what is good for the people around us. So as you start seeing the things that are going on around the country, around the world, look for the people who are writing letters and digging people out of ditches and just saying, you know what, I, I want to see what it is to not only for me to feel human, but for the next person to feel human and not just be defined by one particular aspect of their being. Because that is the type of good that we have in us, and that's the type of good that we can share across the board. So thank you for taking the time to be with me in this in this broadcast. We're, we've got a few other things that are going to be coming up in this season, so I'm excited about that. So make sure that you subscribe, make sure that you let other people know, and make sure that you're doing good for yourself and for your community because that's what this is all about. That's what Perpetual Good is all about. So we'll see you next time on the next episode of the Perpetual Good Podcast. You have been listening to the Perpetual Good Podcast with your host, Kenneth Hopkins. Special thanks to Bled John for the theme music. Tune in next time for more stories of the good happening in our community. Have a great day and remember, don't let evil overwhelm you, but overcome evil with good.